Midnight comes often in the dusk of my life. When I look back upon all that I have survived, the deaths of so many for whom I cared and loved in my heart have expunged all sense of glory from my thoughts. To have escaped those random fates has lost all triumph. I know you have seen me, friend, my lined face and silent regard, the cold calcretions that slow my embittered pace as I walk down the last years, clothed in darkness, as are all old men haunted by memories. Hello and welcome to the Legendary Green Team's Malazan series. Welcome to episode two of the Memories of Ice series. I'm Huron Fan and I am joined today by Befuddled Panda. Hi! Yasna as a boy. Hello! And Ashaman. Hi everybody. As a reminder, this is Befuddled Panda's first time reading Memories of Ice. Yasna has read the first half of Memories of Ice previously and is reading the series for the first time. And Ashaman and myself are Malazan veterans. Today we are covering Memories of Ice chapters 7-13. through 13. If you haven't read these chapters, please stop listening here as everything uh, in these chapters is fair game for discussions of spoilers galore. We will be doing our usual chapter-by-chapter chapter format. And a uh, major warning for sexual violence and like just messed up violence in general. Ashman, you want to hit it? Absolutely. So chapter 7. We are introduced to the Grey Swords and Capistan as they are contacted by Quick Ben. A group of Grey Sword outriders are then attacked by Kachain Chamal and are then rescued by Talani Moss. Tog has a pair of visions from the point of view of Baljag and a dying Treach. Treach. And Envy has a conversation with Cruel. Itkovian and Emas rescue Gruntlin Co. Brucalian rearranges Gethel's face. Yeah, he did. Hmm. Yeah, he did. Hmm. Sorry, I probably should have said this before the uh, reading, but I would just like to thank one of our users for agreeing with me and my complaints last episode. <laughs> and uh, also say that nobody has come on Twitter or the Discord correcting Ashman's dis- uh, and I disagreement from the uh, spoilers episode, and that is it. Not yet, anyway. Not yet. Don't worry, I know I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Yasta, what stood out to you, uh, characters or scenes? The uh, the death of Treach, uh, and I also loved the uh, scene in Kroll's temple. With uh, Lady Envy, uh, the temple under the floorboards. Mm. What about the uh, death of Treach was so intriguing? Oh, God. I need to stop reading these uh, only once so soon, so long before the recording. Um, <laughs> it, was a, uh, it was a powerful moment. Uh, I, I liked the dialogue that, that Treach had about uh, with, um, with that IMAS woman, right? Uh, mm. About. Um, like how she knew him and the references to Rylandris meant something to me because of other stuff I've read. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a cool moment. Was um this depiction of Kilava um a little unexpected based on what we'd seen before? This is for everybody. She's changed. <laughs> but then again, three hundred thousand years will do that to you. Uh, I didn't I, I didn't realize she was uh she was gonna still be kicking around since she defied the ritual. <laughs> At least yeah, the first why is time that? I read this. That's a little strange, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Soul Taken aren't supposed to be, like, immortal, are they? Nope. Yeah, so... How about you, uh... How about you, a panda? Yes, I am a panda. Well, we... <laughs> we got our first, like, actual action scene with the giant zombie dinos. 
So we got yeah, to see cool. them in action. And of course, Jurassic Park like theme song was playing in my head. I was reading it. <laughs> and this is why Silver Fox said that they needed the Telonymous because even with the Telonymous, it took like I don't know, it was like sixty dead against four of these zombie mm-hmm. dinos. Uh thousands of Emas too. Yeah. Wasn't this our the... second scene with the dinos? With like an action scene? Kinda. The last one we saw was them attacking uh Curly and uh, Gruntle, but that was more like a fade away thing. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. It's like we got to see the details of it, and then also how the soldiers like used ropes and just tore the dino apart. Ugh. I mean, it was cool, but also at the same time, ugh. I um, like the gray swords a lot. <laughs> the gray swords are cool. Uh, yes. And then other things that stood out to me were we learned more about Cruel and how, like, drawing on the power of the Warrens means that they're actually drawing on Cruel's blood. At least that's Isn't what that wild? Said. That is wild, which uh, I'm not... I mean, there's definitely, like, questions there about, like, who really is Cruel. And I think he is the eldest of the elder gods, but I could be wrong. Uh, and then, pretty... oh, go, oh, go ahead. No, no, oh, go I was ahead. just gonna say it seems pretty cool of him to normally uh, this case the this scene where we found this out being an exception uh, to normally allow uh, uh, mortals to do that uh, to draw on his blood without actively trying to control them or or dominate them. Mm-hmm. He said he's passive, right? He's just like yeah. you guys just walk through my warrens. Yeah, and... he says he's passive in in a very in the very scene where he's saying, "But <laughs> but you should know this, so you will obey me, Lady Envy." <laughs> but you know, uh, at at most other times, passive according to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why do you think he allows uh, mortals to do that? I don't know if he really has <laughs> much of a choice right now, given um, Calor's like curse on cruel because a lot of people have forgotten cruel and um maybe he'd like draw the power from people believing in him i do i do believe in fairies <laughs> well i think there's a distinction being drawn in this section as a whole between and like can com- uh, taken alongside the prologue between like old cruel and Cruel post being revived in Gardens of the Moon because old Cruel had like worshippers and temples all over the world, but they we find out later that now he just has friends and like tries to have like an equal relationship with people. And he has like this one priest we've met so far, but he doesn't seem to be as like domineering as he used to be. On the other hand, he's still activated by blood. So uh, he has three temples now, at least. Three oh, really? Active temples. Well, yeah, he's got the one in Darugistan that uh, revived him. He's got the one where he met uh, Lady Envy, and he was kind of, you know, got power from the blood sacrifice there. And then finally, when they get to Kapustan, uh, he made a temple where there was a family that had died upstairs. Oh, because Karuli, Karuli made it into a temple. Yes. Yeah, because Karuli's his, his priest. Right, but the one in Darugistan and the one where he met Lady Envy don't have, like, a priest in residence, right? They're just, like, 
temples that some blood got spilled at, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to have a priest in residence to have it be a temple. Also, uh, recall that the Warrens didn't always exist. Before the Warrens, there were the Holds. Were, were there? Shut up. <laughs> so are the, were, are the Holds not part of the... Uh, of Cruel's body is Cruel's body only the uh, younger Warrens that mortals can draw on. You can't see it, but Huron is making zipping uh, gestures on his mouth. The short answer is it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this chapter, we got introduced to Kapistan and the Grey Swords. So what uh, what did you think about Kapistan? The, okay, the Grey Swords were very interesting. They call everybody Sir, which was something I noticed. It's confusing. Um, it, it's not something unique to the Grey Swords. It's kind of a tradition within the entire world in uh, military hierarchies to just call everyone Sir. They don't care what gender you are. So a okay. woman in command will be called Sir. Okay. Covian uh, it, it, it calls uh, an inferior uh, Sir. He calls one of the recruits Sir too. Yes, yes, because Itkovian is a baller man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will admit, I'm still like trying to get the correct names of the characters because like each character has multiple names and like i've i've gotten that ecovian is the shield anvil was that brocolian 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 is the mortal sword Mm -hmm. and then karen dandis (laughs) did i make that that up yeah (laughs) carnados yeah carnados is the Destrian. I want to call him Carnada. Carnada. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. Carne. Carne. Car- no, that was. <laughs> I have and, no idea what not, you're talking about. Not Rathfenner. Um, Rathfenner is not the Destrian. And Quickbin thinks they're all full of poop. <laughs> no, he says that. <laughs> I don't know. What, what, why do you, what, do you. So you think he was lying to Whiskey Jack? I don't know. I never trust uh, anything Quickbin says. I don't. I think Quickpin was actually being. He did. He really had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I think that Quickpin is a little too cynical, and doesn't. Uh, and thinks they're a bunch of like uh, scam artists, basically. I say I don't think it's cynicism. I just think it's like uh, egocentrism. Like Quickpin thinks that he, he he's certain about everything, and so he he gets to a conclusion and he sticks with it, even though there's evidence against it. <laughs> I think he he tends to overestimate his own knowledge sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Quickbin Quickbin meeting the Grey Swords was a very interesting scene because he made it seem like it was just happenstance that oh he they were the ones that he got to connect with. Um, which when you're reading the scene for the first time, like you don't know until after after that happened and. I did like when, it. That was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Do you when think I they was, bought it? Uh, well, yes, I think they bought it. And um, when he was like naming things, like, "Oh, you're the mortal sword, and you're the shield, and blah blah blah," I was just thinking, like, Quickben, Quickben's perception is like really, really high, and he's just like <laughs> inquiring, and this is how he got his information. That was cool. It is impressive I, that he actually knows what those things are and can yeah. like recognize them. I do love the terms Destrian, Mortal Sword, and Shield Anvil, and what they mean in this universe. Some of the some of the cooler concepts that uh, 
Erickson has come up with in terms of hierarchies. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I don't quite understand the the each role. So the mortal sword is essentially the martial champion of a god. The destriant is the high highest of the high priests, and the okay. shield anvil is uh, shield. something you'll you'll see. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Raffo for shield. Ecovian's <clears throat> a bro, though. I love Ecovian. Yep. <laughs> And didn't he is they one of the say, more beloved characters in the series. Didn't they say that Mortal Sword was like a title from the Church of Fainer that like preceded when they started calling uh, Ascendants and Church Hierarchies like the Knight of High House, whatever? I believe they did say that, yeah. I thought there that were was ancient cool titles. Tidbit. Yeah, why are they coming up now? A hmm. uh, scene that stood out to me was uh, Talk and mm-hmm. Tool and tool talking to talk about the uh the eye and tool noticed the pain and talks for or in tool's voice and tools kind of lashes out he's like you just never you were wrong about not noticing my pain made me sad Mm -hmm. and it's the first time tool has ever shown emotion yeah that we've seen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we've noticed because his exact words were uh talk said i've never heard you speak in pain before tool i didn't think you heard wrong, the Talani Mas said, his tone once again devoid of inflection. This is true. Just because someone talks in a monotone doesn't mean they're not uh, upset. I also wonder how easy, difficult it is to see, like, someone's expression when they're <laughs> skeleton and, Yeah, talk, you know. talks about that a lot. Talk, talk. Uh-huh. Yeah, just sockets for eyes and a completely dead face. It takes a lot away from the uh, social interaction, I would expect. Mm-hmm. And the he's willing of... to forgive his sister Kalava after all these years. Yeah, that was that was a pretty quick like uh, reconciliation kind of thing. Three hundred thousand years is pretty quick. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. Okay. Fair <laughs> it's time to cool down from it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, the elder god speaking to talk. So, in that scene, it doesn't say like which elder god it is, but I think it's cruel. So, the elder god tells talk that he and Kalava will cross paths again, and the final meeting will likely be years from now. And he also tells talk that um, he's going to send talk to go free the Panion Seer's children, and talks like why this is what uh the elder god said an odd question mortal i speak of compassion there are gifts unimagined in such efforts a man who dreams has shown me this and indeed you shall soon see for yourself such gifts so i think it's cruel who's the elder god and the man who dreams it's corrupt i think there's enough clues that yeah it's cruel and that's definitely corrupt okay Mm -hmm. Krupp's a dreamer. And is a dreamer. Uh, apparently, Cruel is quite the puppet master to be able to predict these things years away. Yes, I did wonder about that. <laughs> but also, Krupp, Dreams, something, something, Queen of Dreams, maybe. 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 <laughs> I liked after uh, Kilava left, and Tool is obviously shaken by uh, their meeting and talk says like 
words that could be interpreted as insensitive and, and tools like I, uh, I, I will take such words from a friend, even from somebody I consider a friend. And uh, he's like, you know, I'm just being serious. Like, man, it's great that Altria, not insult, talks said lovely, turning back to the Talani Mas, an observation. What did you call it? The breaking of blood ties. He laid a hand on Tool's shoulder. It's clear to me that what's worth and what's what that's worth and the breaking failed the blood ties remained perhaps you could take to heart take that to heart onos and i just love their relationship it's so beautiful mm-hmm. and then after that talk is wondering he's like man how did i how did i deserve like the respect from the uh the sigula and the friendship of a talani mass and then immediately after that like uh he calls oh yeah because the uh the he has a nickname now called like stone arrow and Stoneblade. He says, Here I was planning to spend the night tossing bones with Senu and through uh through Senu stabbed. Come and eat Stone Arrow. Uh oh, I think I just overstepped the familiarity thing. <laughs> yeah, getting the respect of uh Segula is not very easy without beating the hell out of them. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like the only language that they really knew how to speak was violence and, you know, pissing contests. Essentially. <laughs> I just think it's great that literally it seems like everybody who meets talk just automatically considers them their friend. Lydia and V, talk tool, uh, even the bridge burners and uh, Peron, etc. Talk is awesome. Yeah, he's just that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. I like the scene where Brucalian smashes his sword across Gethel's face because you know what? Sometimes Jacob need to get a sword smashed into their face. <laughs> And this was one of those occasions. Also, did you guys expect Gothos's brother to be quite like that? <laughs> that was kind of rude, though. What? Smashing his face. Like, he was just following... He was Hood's Herald. He was just following instructions. Nah, he, he said some things he didn't need to say. <laughs> yeah, he was very rude. I'll have to read yeah. it. He said, foolish man, Fenner shall be the first casualty in the war with the crippled god. The boar shall fall and none can save him. The patronage of Hood is not casually offered, mortal, to just anyone. To be so honored. And then Brucalian's like, you think we would betray our god like that? Who do you take us for? You dick. Well, yeah, I mean, he thought he was offering the dude a favor. Like you don't you don't talk to people who are that pious and say those kind of things about their god and expect them to re- respond like that, especially mm-hmm. when you're insulting their honor by doing so. Yep. Yeah, he could have made the offer bet like uh, more diplomatically. Yes. What did we learn? Gethel's just kind of an ass anyway. <laughs> hmm. Well, he's a uh, he. He was displaying some typical Jackhood arrogance by by off caging the offer that way too, right? Aren't they yes. known for that? They are. <laughs> that's he, uh that's a large part of the reason why the talani mass uh started genociding them according to curtains the moon at least and according to a talani mass mm-hmm. and you can't trust um, anything those guys say <laughs> <laughs> did you notice that so gesso he lost an eye right because brucalion when he like slashed oh. his face oh he did it, i didn't it hurt that. one of his eye and then Gesso gets like pulled back into the portal again, and that's when he says that like he knows. Oh, let me find the quote. Like, okay, I know who I you are, then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And... It's a later chapter. Oh, never mind. Just kidding. Oh, you can read it now. It's it's related. 
Okay, but which chapter? Eight, I would imagine. Uh, he doesn't lose his eye, it's just his eye gets obscured a bit. Yeah, here it is, chapter eight, fourth paragraph. Okay. Did he not lose his eye? Uh, it says, the blood had slowed its flow down his ruined face, though the vision of one eye was still obscured, blocked by an upthrust shard that glimmered pink-white and the pain had dulled to a pulsing throb. Okay. So his well, cheekbone is essentially blocking his view. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. And then, yes, and then he says that, I know you now, Hood. I know who, what you are. Delicious irony, the mirror of your face. Do you, in turn, I now wonder, know me? And the reason why I bring that up is because it's it comes up quite a bit um, when people, like, lose their physical sight. They gain sight of another nature. Like talk. Like talk, like haboric, right? So... I just, I don't know. I was trying to connect the dots here. I don't know if that's a stretch. No, no, no. It's great that you're connecting dots to that scene. Uh, any other, do we have any quotes from this chapter? Or any other scenes or characters? I've got a quote. Take it. It says, Crippled and chained he may be, Lady Envy. This is Krull talking to Lady Envy. But this particular god is never so obvious. His game displays a master's sleight of hand. Nothing is as he would have us believe. And his use of unwitting servants is a, as brutal as his treatment of enemies. Consider, after all, the Panian seer. No, for Kalos, death came from the sea. A war-entwisted fleet, cold-eyed unhuman killers. Seeking, ever-seeking, they now ply the world's oceans. And we don't hear anything about this uh, war-entwisted fleet in the chapters we've read since then, but that's interesting. Uh, do you have any guesses for who they are? Panda. Oh, do you, Yessa? Uh, I have more info than Stop. I, than Poop. you do. <laughs> I think if I'm right about my guess, but it like draws on the extended universe. So, when it comes to fleet, the only thing I can really think of is um, the Salanda. What about the Salanda? Well. It's mysterious, and there are things that are going to be revealed later. Hmm. Does does that question, okay. what about the Salanda, imply that it's something to do with like the the Tice Eater? Wasn't that a Tice Eater ship? Does they it? say that? They were on the ship, and they were manning the ship. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, that's right. What else about the Salanda? Now I want to go back and look at the stuff about the history of the ship. Because like was, uh, there's, they're like in the in the cabin, right? Like the captain of the ship was. Well, didn't, uh, didn't um, what's his name, Bowden? Didn't Bowden say that it was like the only trading vessel to that was supposed to be like trading with the Tysty oh, yeah, yeah, Dwarf yeah. from where was it from the Malazan Empire? I don't remember. That it was a trading ship from the Malazans to the Tyst Andy on just oh. a, on I think an island, the Spar of Andy. Oh, okay, no, it was at the Spar of Andy, wasn't it? No, no, this, isn't the Spar of Andy in like the Chaos, the Warns of Chaos? It's near the Warns of Chaos, yeah. Mm. I don't know what you are talking about. <laughs> it was in, it's been mentioned like one time in Gardens of the Moon, and the only reason I ah! remember it is because of the Duke and Duchess podcast. Uh. <laughs> Shout out to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Uh, so we learn about a lot about Dasim Ultur, 
Uh, pretty interesting guy. What do you think? Uh, I don't think he's that important. I know that he is important. He keeps coming up. He's been coming up since the first book. So, yeah. like, this this section seems to imply that Decembre and Dasimultor are the same person. Is that right? Is it? I That's what I took away from this. Yes. I'm saying yes. Okay. All right. I, I mean, that's what it seems like I'm being led to believe the least. <laughs> uh, it was Drift Apoli. There we go. Oh, good. That's what I was thinking of, but I didn't know if they gave the name away, so I didn't want to say it. <laughs> I still don't know what that means, so... That was where the Solanda was trading with the Tyst Andy, is that what you're saying? Yep. And okay. then the Tyst Edor, like, jacked it and enslaved everybody? Allegedly. So we think. So, okay. <laughs> you guys are impossible. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, we've read, like the first two books not that long ago and the details have already been leaking out of my brain. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, about Decimal Tor. So, I don't know how Decim fits into the current picture of the events that we're reading. And then Lady Envy also asked Cruel if Decim Tor's daughter would still be alive if Lady Envy had shown up at the chaining. Because it seemed like Desimultor's daughter was the only casualty from the chaining, maybe. Okay. And yeah, he's seemingly angry at Hood for taking his daughter. What is whatever that means? Hmm. Well, Hood but, was at the chaining as well. But so, yeah. But she's she's not dead, right? His daughter. Well, she was like, was that her corpse in the Azath house that we saw, or was that like a passed out body, like? We saw with when Perrin saw those uh, the Vorkan and Relic. It was definitely a body. I'm not <laughs> saying if it was alive or not. Right. That's why I'm saying like I mean. Yes, we people, saw her. People people sleep in Azath houses timelessly. So for all we know, she's been sitting in in Azath house passed out for like hundreds of years. Very possible. And like hundreds. Dasim's not that old, right? How long ago was the chaining? (laughs) Wasn't the chaining like forever ago? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. The first chaining was forever ago. Oh, oh, see, I keep hearing this reference to a first chaining. So how many chainings were there? Putting on my tinfoil hat. This better not be a series where it's like everything is cyclical and it, the events just repeat itself and then it's like this multiverse situation where each time it's like a different slightly different series of events or blah 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 or whatever no that's the uh, wheel of time yeah this is not uh this is not that <laughs> okay or so we think or so we think <laughs> i have not read the wheel of time so i have no idea that is the wheel of time okay <clears throat> yeah great but it's very open about that from the beginning, so... Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not a spoiler at all. Um, I have a quote. Oh, sorry. But if uh, you have something for this train of thought, then go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, if if he's blaming Hood for something that went down in an Azath house, I also think that he might be uh, bitter for the wrong reasons, because the Azath houses have their own agendas, and I doubt Hood has any control over that. That's it. Go but on. then... That would mean... Uh, okay, I have a question about the Azath house. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the answer so, is yes. <laughs> uh, 
the the body of Desam Otor's daughter is in the finest Azeth house? No. No, it's uh, Tremolor. Tremolor. Yeah. Oh, in Tremolor. It was either Tremolor or Dead House. I couldn't remember, but they've said Tremolor. Okay. I completely forgot about that body. <laughs> Let's move back to Memories of Ice then. <laughs> <laughs> right. We just went down a Dead House Gates rabbit hole. This quote. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before oh. we close this, what I was trying to get at was so Lady Envy was like questioning, you know, whether or not. Decimal Tor's daughter would have been alive or saved or whatever if Lady Envy had shown up at the chaining. And then Cruel just tells her, there's little value in worrying such questions beyond obvious lesson that inaction is a deadly choice. And I think this echoes what we saw in Dead House Gates at Arryn, where Pormqual's inaction was a deadly choice. Oh yeah, absolutely. For everyone. Inaction is always a decision that people make. And like even in the in the political sphere, if you don't care about politics, guess what? That's still a political decision. <laughs> yeah. And there's also, you know, just like in normal day like the bystander effect, thinking mm-hmm. like somebody else will take responsibility and so like, oh, I don't need to do it because somebody else will do it, right? That isn't to say that it's not good to wait sometimes. That's true. Yeah. Like sometimes it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes your city might be overtaken by the Fire Nation and you're just waiting for the day of the um, eclipse so that you can break out and free your city. Okay. You know, sometimes that does happen. (laughs) At least. But sometimes that only happens because some dude tried to fight a volcano for no reason. Are you guys talking about Avatar the Last Airbender? Could be. We're we're talking about our friend, Boomy. (laughs) Boomy! Okay. <laughs> I got some I got two quotes. Um this is from Karul explaining, you know, the warns, it's really neat. Darkness, then chaos, wild, unfocused power, a universe devoid of sense, a control of meaning, entities flung through the maelstrom, lost, terrified by the birth of light, a sudden sharpening pain as of wrists open, the heat spilling forth, a savage imposition of order, the heart from which blood flowed in even steady streams, twin chambers to that heart. Crawled Ghislaine, the ward of Other Dark, the Star Vault Demoline, the ward of dragons, in the blood, the power now seeping in currents through veins, through arteries, branching out through all existence, in the thought that came to her, then stole all warmth from her flesh. That's I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. That's metal. Yeah. yeah. How nice of Cruel to impose some sort of order onto the universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other one, uh, so the Grey Swords were just saved by the Talani Moss. And they were talking about the why they were fighting the Kachinchamal. He says, Tell me, Shield Anvil, do these undead warriors hold grudges? Itkovium allowed himself a private smile. You can ask that of the next Jag Hut we happen across. <laughs> the, a, a later chapter where Talk was asking, like, so do the Talonimas even still know, like, are there any Jag Huts alive? And the answer was like, no. <laughs> so, yeah. I think it was really nice of the Talani Mouse to save the Grey Swords there. They definitely did it out of the kindness of their own hearts. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. <laughs> oh, poor Harlow's dead. Yeah. Is that in this chapter? Yeah, it was at the end. I don't... This was a long chapter. It was a long chapter. <laughs> Hit it, Ash. Chapter 8. 
Gethel enlists in the House of Chains. Whiskey Jack tells Anamander the origin of the Bridgeburners. The Mibe has a dream. The Bridgeburners are stood up by Quick Ben, who is busy talking to Sticks. An acorn, right? A- and he has head. an acorn head, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be so unnerving to talk to. It's like strange the uncanny valley. I liked learning about the history of the Bargast. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Part of the history, at least. Do we, do we hear the full history here? I don't know. We learned that they were seafarers, and they kind of, I believe they kind of intermingled with the uh, Toblakai and became a Bargast. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have history with Moranth. Yeah. They're kin, right? Or no? Uh, yeah. They speak a similar language. The Moranth speak a language similar to the Bargast uh, shoulder people. And Twist later says in a later chapter that uh, their enmity is an ancient enmity born of false memories. Right. Mm-hmm. And also in another chapter we read, or maybe it's the same one that Twist says that, but a different scene. We get the the Bargast perspective on that a little bit from Heaton. Uh, and she basically says that the Moranth are traitors because they adopted some of the ways of the uh, Tyst Edor, who were their, like, ancient enemies. Yeah. But Maybe they twi- fought on the oceans. But right. Twist ha- Twist says that they have that wrong, basically. That they don't... That their their memory of that is, is Incorrect. false, basically. Yeah. And they said they're related to the Trell, too. Yeah, yeah, I did. I noticed that. The Trell are way different than than the Moranth and the Bargast, though, aren't they? So they look, all have like, tusks, right? Yeah. They're like big orc guys. Thick. Mm-hmm. With two C's. Gummy thick. Well, they're all thick. I think that's the commonality. The Toblakai, the Trell, the Bargast. Oh, no, the Moranth, I guess, are are they described as being like big, big built? Or no? Not really. I thought so they're they were that odd. Of, yeah. mm-hmm. I'll tell you the next time we're riding behind one in a quarrel. I love the Moranth. I've said it before, but they're so cool. So much cooler than the Bargast. They Agreed. they kind of have the effect that the eagles do in Lord of the Rings because they can, <laughs> you know, because they can fly. But yeah, they actually and... use them though, unlike the eagles, which get used. That is like, true. A couple times. That is an improvement. <laughs> and the eagles didn't lead to the innovation of grenades. It's true. Okay, fine. Yes, but I meant the like effect that the Moranth and Quirrell have uh, on situations. Anyway, I noted here that the crippled god has, he was having some serious FOMO and really wanted to be part of the cool kids and have a house of his own. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> to be part of the deck of dragons. Yeah, everybody wants a house. <laughs> He's like, no longer an outsider, Getho. I would join the game. I don't think the other kids are going to like that he wants to play with them, though. No, they chained him. <laughs> They're like, we don't want you to be part of our gang. We're going to put you over here. Do you think that uh, High House Chains will become a part of the deck? Yes. Well, the next book is called House of Chains. So I figured it's going to focus a lot on whether it's like creating the House of Chains, defeating the House of Chains. Also... The Cripple God did say, like, you know, he's going to have many, many followers because there's so much pain and failure in the world. And he basically collects the broken people, which is also why uh, Cruel tells Lady Envy to be protective of talk 
since talk is you know he's he's deformed he's broken and seems like if the crippled god was able to convince talk to be on his side that would be a very very bad thing yeah the crippled god has self-pity on his side and boy oh that's a uh, strong tool speaking of that paran has a lot of self-pity so <laughs> yeah <laughs> he does call himself out for it though that's true but he's also not alone like he's with the bridge burners so hopefully that's like enough to keep him away from the cripple god uh whiskey jack makes friends with rake yeah that scene was awesome real yeah. recognizes real <laughs> <laughs> And we get the backstory of the bridge burner. So the story that Kim Locke wanted Fiddler to tell him, uh, we get now. I was just like, oh my goodness, it's bridge burner buddies for life. Mm -hmm. That story is what I was talking about when they asked like about Quickbin like a million episodes ago. And I was like, well, I already know, so I can't say anything. And they were like, but do you know? Do you really know? <laughs> So that, was the, that was what I was referencing. Just, just know more that. than you knew before. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Quickman is badass. Like, for him to be able to absorb like eleven other souls, basically. Yeah, he's essentially and, a hive mind now. <laughs> yeah, and like be stable for the most part <laughs> that's pretty impressive yeah and they have reached a balance yes i was trying to keep track of all of the different mages that you know the bodies that they found and like which warren or, or what characteristic they had but there were a few that were just like unknown and mm -hmm. uh so like there was M minas which is the Kate, uh, the illusion Warren? Yep, yes. it's the human version of the Shadow Warren. Okay. There's Driss, which I don't remember what Driss is. I believe that is Earth. Oh, yes. okay. And then there's Fenner, and then there's a Soul Taken, Soul Lave one, U Ulan, Ulan. And there's an, a couple of unknowns Rashan, Cirque, Tennis, and then there's Quick Ben. I don't know what his real was. So, powerful dude. Hmm. Uh, Driss is the Worm of Autumn. Or it serves the Worm of Autumn. Which and is I, like, it is an Earth-based magic. Which yeah, we, and I think... We learned in Gardens of the Moon. I think Tennis is uh, uh, Burns. I think we tennis learned that was in this Earth. Book. Yeah. Oh, well. So he has two different flavors of Earth magic. Ooh. <laughs> Do we do Cirque? Uh, it's not really important. <laughs> okay, fine. Circus yeah, Sky. Yeah. Oh, Circus Sky. And uh, what I noted about getting the story of the Bridge Burners is that they were a hodgepodge mix of basically leftovers from different squads. And found family is one of my favorite tropes. So this is like one of the ultimate found families. Yeah, they breakfast and... loved each other. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, having like shared such an ex intense experience of going across Raraku. Uh I mean we've already seen that in um Dead House Gates and how like terrible that was. But yeah, like they're almost a cult. Yeah. Almost. 
anyway, bridge burner buddies. I'm really happy that we got to learn about them. It's a good story. And and Rake got a friend, which makes me happy. Blend Ancy Picker. Those three, man. <laughs> such names. <laughs> such characters. Mm-hmm. Such antics. The conversation between Picker and Ancy, I believe. He said, uh, Ancy says, and I got a real complicated meal in mine. Hair stuffed with figs. Picker sat up, eyes wide. You're not going to make us eat Spindle's hair shirt with figs. <laughs> <laughs> so good (laughs) oh okay so the when when whiskey jack and rake were becoming friends um there was something that uh rake said and they were talking about uh peron i say that guy's name like different almost every time can't decide (laughs) as one does Uh uh-huh and um rake was talking about how like you know people you you kind of just like brush across people in life and sometimes you are changed by just that brief moment of contact he goes on to say at the instant when lives brush close no matter how momentary uh inform me who is worthy of trust and then he says even though that peron was a tool of opon Immortal, his every loss written plain there in his eyes, living or dying, his fate meant nothing to me. Yet, and then Whiskey Jack says, you liked him. Rake smiled, sipped wine, I, an accurate summation. So even though Rake was talking about Paran in this uh, example, I think at the same time, he was also talking about Whiskey Jack. Like, you're immortal. Like, you know, we... Because Whiskey Jack is also somebody who, like, when you meet him, you just, like, trust him. You don't Mm -hmm. know him, but he just seems so trustworthy. And it's almost, I'm reading it as, like, Rake kind of extending a hand of friendship in, in his own way to Whiskey Jack. Like, you know, I really don't care about you and shouldn't care about you, but yet I like you. So, Mm -hmm. And uh, Crone comments on the possible folly of his decision to let Whiskey Jack into his cold, dead heart a bit. <laughs> because uh, in Rake's point of view, Whiskey Jack's going to be dead soon. Yeah. Same for Tool and Talk, of course. But I don't know. I think Tool is just so sad that he uh, he was willing he's to clanless. accept anyone who... He's clanless. He has no one to talk to. Rake at least has people to talk to that like kind of get him. <laughs> yeah. Although the Tice Andy aren't exactly a very cheerful lot. <laughs> they are not. <laughs> Lightly. I have a quote. Armies possess traditions, and these had less to do with discipline than with the fraught truths of the human spirit. Rituals at the beginning, shared with each and every recruit, and rituals at the end, a formal closure that was recognition. Recognition in every way imaginable. They were necessary. Their gift was a kind of sanity, a means of coping. A soldier cannot be sent away without guidance, cannot be abandoned and left lost in something unrecognizable and indifferent to their lives. Remembrance and honoring the ineffable. Yet when it's done, what is the once soldier? What does he or she become? An entire future is spent walking backward, eyes on the past, its horrors, its losses, its grief, its sheer heart-bursting living. The ritual is a turning round, a facing forward, a gentle and respectful hand like a guide on the shoulder. And I think this uh, kind of just speaks to the importance of traditions and rituals 
in uh, human life generally, because guess what? The universe is not obliged to make sense to us, and often it doesn't. These kinds of things are our effort to kind of make sense out of everything and feel like there's some kind of order to our days. And it's really discomforting when you feel like that's not the case. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the way that I was reading that quote, it was very much about, I, I think it also speaks to like PTSD and mm -hmm. also just, you know, when your life has been taken over by a cause of some sort, right? Um, for so long, how do you transition out of that mindset that's become so integral to your identity and then move on from it? Um, I, I've had, I'm not saying like, I, you know, it's, it's at the same level, but I've had some, some, a little bit of experience with this where it's like, if you think about college where mm. you were, your life was, at least mine was like a lot of, uh, interactions with my friends. We would see each other every day. Sure. There, there's partying. Um, I wasn't that big of a partier, although I've had my moments and you know, we basically were just like so close knit. And after graduation, it felt like part of yourself was missing because that thing that you had, that part of your identity just went away. And, you know, I get why like reunions and things like that are fun and people like to go to that sometimes depending on how, what your experience was originally. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's hard to get that back. And yeah, I don't know. It's how do you move on from that? You kind of just, okay, what's the next thing? And you keep busy. And some people don't um, grow out of it, I guess. You know, they keep trying to get back to the good old days. So. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important for humans to be able to divide our lives into like strict chapters and have closure of some kind on each chapter of our lives. Is that realistic though? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Krupp denies the existence of elusive complexity regarding self-worrisome wizard. Simplicity is Krupp's mistress and joyful conspiracy with his dear wife, Truth. Of course, long and loyal in allegiance to this happy threesome. <laughs> and before that, they're playing dice. And Cole is complaining. Oh, yeah. And he says, Krupp wins every cast. Not subtle, little man. A good cheat makes sure there's losses thrown in every now and then. And Krupp says, Thus Krupp's true innocence is displayed. I have asthma, and it's terrible right now, so I can't do my normal Krupp voice. I'll try. A cheat of successive victories would be madness indeed. No, this sympathy is true and well beyond Krupp's control. The sympathy of the, of like the gods and the universe for Krupp, that is. <laughs> it's Cosmic sympathy. Oh, they man. look down upon him and like, poor Krupp, and they make him <laughs> win every game he plays. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, mark that one too. Anything else? Nope. Chapter 9. Talk and Envy go to a B&B. &B. Envy brings a dog inside and must therefore slaughter everyone in the building. Talk takes the next available opportunity to join a cult. Oh, poor Talk. He's so stupid. What a hood damn fool. <laughs> but. I mean, he would have died otherwise, right? 
no way he survives if he uh, if he doesn't go with the uh, if he <laughs> if he stays with Lady Envy and the uh, the others. I disagree. Yeah, I, I don't buy that. I don't think he's a fool though, because Cruel already told Talk, "I'm gonna send you into the mm. embrace of the Panion Seer." So this is uh, one instance of Cruel not necessarily being the nicest to his friends. <laughs> I think it was stupid because we know what happens to him. He does what's necessary. We we do know what happens to him, but like his other option was to I don't know just go off by himself. Okay, would you rather die at the hands of the Teneskauri or be you know sent to the matron and have your bones broken over and over and over and over and over and over and over? Right, and over. right. But that's that that wasn't one of the the options he was thinking through. Like you can't you can't reasonably expect someone to take that into consideration the time well because he didn't know any he didn't know you know all the stuff about the panion seer so i get that i still think it was a stupid decision and i think that the three uh segula and lady envy and tool could have protected him perfectly fine plus the guys he's he's an amazing uh magical archer he he's he's not nothing he's got severe uh self-image problems he has low self-esteem but I do wonder, because when I read that, that he just, like, joined the... To me, the Teneskari are a bit zombie-like uh, in their mm. behavior. I, I was like, why would you do that? But then, like, rereading some parts, I do think that he he was maybe trying to be, like, a spy on the inside to h- kind of help fight from within. Um, I thought he was just trying to hitch a ride to Dujek's army. That too. Yeah, that too. But at the at the end of the day, uh, I agree with Huron if Talk made the decision willingly. But if it was really just Carl's influence, then he didn't really have a choice. So. Well, uh, we do see that basically everyone in the in the group gets okay. Everyone except for Lady Envy gets overwhelmed with soldiers sometimes. Like, two literally gets buried under a mass of bodies. And also archers exist. <laughs> so so you know, you're, just, you're saying not... that if he would have been similarly overwhelmed, he wouldn't have had a mechanism to survive um, like the others do. I, yeah, I'm saying that Tok isn't nearly as competent of a fighter as the Segula, and he doesn't have anything supernatural on his side to help him survive like Lady Envy or Tool. Besides, He's got his eye. That's it. Besides his eye, let's him see how screwed he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The epigraph to this chapter is from By someone Essel named... Mono. <laughs> Esli Mo- Mo- Mono. Oh, yeah, right. Esli. Esli Monot. The dubious. The dubious. Mm-hmm. So did Esselmont write the uh, epigraph, or did Steven Erickson characterize his friend? He characterizes friend, I'm sure. I bet his yeah. friend, like, is probably the one who thought of it that could change them all or something. Or, or Erickson thought of the cage can change them all, and uh, Esselmont was kind of like, "That's stupid." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably more likely. <laughs> Dinos- Mono, the dubious. Dinosaurs with swords for hands? <laughs> Come on, how juvenile you get, Steve? <laughs> Like in a, in any other book, dinosaurs with swords for hands would be too ridiculous, you know. No, 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 no. <laughs> I like that this chapter starts with 
how do you uh damn it. how do you measure life thank you yeah how do you measure life yep yeah i noted that these are the cruelest measure of all wouldn't you say lady envy asks uh talk and this reminds me of what erickson said like what is a hero who determines that one is a hero if a person performs heroic deeds but there is no witness is the person a hero so like would good intentions be a better measure but then how do you measure good intentions and i think the question here may be flawed like in order to measure something someone has to be there to measure it so can the like can the person that's doing the thing also be the person measuring the thing? I don't know if I'm making sense. I'm sure to someone listening, it makes sense. <laughs> so the, your answer is no. What are you talking about? Yeah, I think uh, I think deeds are pretty much the only thing you can use. I think intent, good intentions are nearly worthless. You know what they say. The road to hell is paved with people with good intentions. Exactly. And uh, a related question in the previous chapter is, is survival a right or a privilege? I think it is something humans have decided should be a right and that we uh, collectively work together to make it so most of the time. We don't do very well at it, though. There's uh, there's like 8 billion humans right now. uh, We could do better. good. Could do better. Could have 10 billion humans. The, can the Earth sustain us? <laughs> we got the moon. Well, yeah. you can always uh, build a Dyson sphere. The, I think the we're chi- trying for Mars right now. So, mm. yeah, but like Talamandus says that it's a privilege, and it needs to be earned. Yes, I agree. <clears throat> That's uh, sizzling a lot about the Barghest, uh and their uh, disdain for life. Their disdain for life. They kill each other all the time, and they they just don't care. (laughs) That is true. We do see that, like, they're all gathered here, and they just kill each other for sport, basically. Willy-nilly. Someone insults someone else, and then, boom, fight to the death. Yeah. A similar thing kind of happens in Darugistan, but uh, to a lesser degree. (laughs) Quotes? Yeah, I got one. Take it! So I like that Talk asks the questions that I want to ask, which makes me really sad that he's going to be stuck in uh, the embrace of the Kachinchamala matron because he's not got anybody to ask these questions of anymore. But for now, he asks Tool, when you fall to dust the way you do, are you entering your Talon Warren? And I'm like, oh, you're asking my questions. And he always does this. <laughs> I love it. And Tool says, no, I simply returned to what I was meant to be, had not the ritual taken place. It would be unwise to employ Talon within this domain, Doc the Younger. I shall, however, remain close and vigilant. So something about the ritual lets them, like, turn to what they should be if the ritual hadn't taken place, which is dust. Which I think is pretty interesting, because, like, within the first, like, hundred years after the ritual, did they, like, turn into, like, some nasty, like, worm-eaten like semi corpse uh, like how did that work pre pre when they should have been dust i don't know but uh what's that steve <laughs> imagine it worked poorly right <laughs> <laughs> not a fast travel form in the first few years <laughs> no it takes a while to get going but once it does oof it's the coolest way to go 
Besides <laughs> flying on a dragon. Yeah, I, I still might prefer the dust way. I'd rather become yeah, a dragon. Oh. Yeah, but if you're a dragon, people can see you coming. Yeah, with the dust way. If like... you're riding on a dragon, people can see you coming. Yeah. What? This is uh, this is why I said I prefer the dust. I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> what about a magic carpet? No. No, why? we're not. We're, why? No. Why? And <laughs> just be there... doing this conversation. <laughs> There's no magic carpet in here. We're just talking about the best ways to travel. That, that's a tangent. Can't have that. <laughs> We're already going. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So Lady Envy was uh, talking to talk about the meaning of the sec second gathering and how it could mean an end to the Telonimus. In the first book, we, we talked about like, oh, there's a, a diaspora of, um, or diaspora. The, the Telonimus, we're all going to like, basically not be diaspora that that's not a word diasporatic the diaspora it is now <laughs> they're not so, going to be scattered they're going to come right. together as a people they're going to come together as a people which i had a question of what's going to happen when they get together and like for what purpose so we're seeing some of this kind of answered but lady envy asks talk if he hopes that she's wrong about it being the end of the Telonimus and he nodded she, why she asked why unhuman creatures sworn to genocide brutal deadly implacable relentless beyond all reason talk nodded towards the Telonimus ahead of them because he's my friend lady envy uh very mapo moment A it is very mapo moment and it's it's like um i think there's there's some things to be said here about if you just view people as a monolith like it's very easy to have them be an other but once you get to know them like one a, a few of them right then you're like oh but we could be friends <laughs> uh yeah yeah although i will note we do know what the purpose of the gathering is Whatever Silver Fox wants it to be. Well, yes, thank you. <laughs> so, what is your prediction of what will happen at the gathering? She is going to just suck them all up, and she's going to be the most powerful Talonimus bone caster ever. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. So she's going to eat them? Hmm. No, not not like devour them by eating them, but like they're just all going to converge in her. She's going to consume their life forces. Or they're definitely going to edit this to make it sound like you're going to say that she ate them. No, there's enough people eating people <laughs> later on. Well, <sighs> that is something that I did not expect you to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, also not my, being that serious about it, but I don't know what she has planned i mean it could be like and we're all gonna move on from this reality into the next like i don't know anything could happen so my mine is a lot less uh fantastic and and therefore <laughs> might be is more likely to be wrong probably because it's predictable <laughs> but uh but i predict that she will sick them on the chain shamala and the jag hut that we discovered is 
behind the panty and seer. And then after that, they'll either be done being Talani Mass and, and die finally, or or they'll sucker sucker them into uh, fighting the crippled god. One of those two. All right, so my quote. Uh, now where's Blen? Ansi demanded. Right here beside you, sir. Hood's breath, stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Blen. And it's excellent, because I don't think she's mentioned before that in the... Uh... <laughs> In the scene, <laughs> right? Just pops out of nowhere for the reader and for the uh, bridge burners. <laughs> I love blend. <laughs> if I could pick like one buddy, it might be blend. I don't so much love blend as I love her relate her and uh, Picker's relationship with each other. Like their friendship I- is what I love, not necessarily one or the other of them. I think Blend's character on its own would not be that interesting because the character just wouldn't exist. Like, Blend's character <laughs> needs to interact with other characters. Okay, so we move on. I have something more somber. Unless uh, you want something. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. The Children of the Dead Seed. Mm. Alright, we're gonna go there. They're freaking creepy. Something I was thinking about... Okay, th- this is just tangential, but like Felicin in Dead House Gates, there was no mention of like her getting pregnant or her like preventing any pregnancy. And we know that women do get pregnant in this world, duh, right? Like children of Dead Seed <laughs> is an example. But we don't get any details about how women can prevent getting pregnant. And I asked in the DMs, like, does Erickson have magical birth control built into Malazan? And just, like, doesn't explain it explicitly. So I have somewhat of an answer to this, even though it might be wrong, but I've I've heard it from being around and people don't seem to consider it a spoiler. They consider it to be, like, part of just the world building. Is that the existence of Danul healers at all has lengthened human lifespans and reduced birth rates so the humans on this world according to these people that i've heard this from ap canavan uh humans on this world don't have are they're not as fertile as they are on our world because of dental healing there's not as much of it they've like evolved not to have as many babies but the tennis i'm just wondering what the birth rate among the tennis is because they uh, they seem to spawn quite a few. Well, anyway. not all the Tenescari are children of the Dead Seed. No, mm-hmm. they're not. But it just seems like there are a lot of children of the Dead Seed. I don't think I agree with AP. Okay. If AP is right, then it is due to things that aren't revealed to the readers, at least. Just, just for the second bit. Um... We do know that Daniel healers can increase the lifespan of people. This is how um, Whiskey Jack and Dujek and Lazine are all still alive, basically. Is it? Well, yes. his argument was basically that when you have a longer lifespan and people don't die as much from natural causes, that would lead to like an eventual evolution of a lower birth rate. But maybe that's not true. I don't know. Okay, so it sounds like we don't have, like, an explicit, definitive answer. And the reason why I bring this up is just, like, at least from my experience, 
typically male fantasy writers or male writers in general don't really take into account these kinds of things. Mm. <laughs> but you see it when a female uh, f- writer, especially for fantasy, like when you're given magical powers, why not make magical birth control? You know, it's like a kind of a natural thing to do. So anyway, that was my yeah. thought there. I think I've only ever seen uh, from both female and male authors uh, them show like herbal uh, birth control. I've never seen a magical birth control from either uh, male or female authors. Tamara Pierce in her series, she does have like charms that, you know, ward off pregnancy. So there, there are some that are herbal and then there are some that are... Mm-hmm spells well i gotta read those books still uh i'll say it's not mentioned yet but there is birth control there is in the world yes okay and uh transitioning out of that so talk realizes he's grown used to solitude and absence of strangers which uh in the time of the pandemic (laughs) um i i that resonated with me like Um, he and essentially he realizes that he's less anxious now (laughs) that he doesn't have to interact with so many strangers Um, he thinks to himself unfamiliar faces gauging regard every sense heightened in an effort to read the unknown the natural efforts of society do we all possess a wish to remain unseen unnoticed is the witnessing of our actions by others are greatest restraint. I'm just wondering, like, what do you think he means? And do you agree? Which apparently I've moved on to questions now, so. Man, I have no idea how people see me. <laughs> because I don't I don't really understand people. Um so this is this is something I don't really I don't really deal with. I don't worry about how I'm perceived most of the time because I've just given up on it. And uh it is quite liberating. I uh, mirror that sentiment. I wish I could mirror that sentiment. There are a lot of pressures in like day-to-day life, especially depending on um, your personality. And I'm definitely somebody who is more of a giver. Like mm. I, I want to please other people. I want to help other people. And sometimes that's very detrimental to my mental health. <laughs> Same here. It's okay to say no. That's all I have for this chapter. Hey, Ash. Chapter 10. Gruntle wakes up in a puddle of vomit and teams up with Buke to fund police Corbel Brooch. Hitan solicits Capustan to take up some bones. Gruntle apologizes to Karuli. Does he, though? Panda said it. <laughs> Does he, though? Yeah. At least Karuli <laughs> is a nice guy and, uh, Accepts the forced apology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the part where Buke is talking to Gruntle and he's telling him about grief and how uh, he has to give meaning to Harlow's death because if he just goes on like this, then he'll have died for nothing and he, Harlow would not be happy about that. And it was really sad and moving. I have the quote here. I'll just read the section. Gruntle says about Harlow's death a pointless, senseless death. They're all pointless and senseless, friend, until the living carve meaning out of them. What are you going to carve, Gruntle, out of Harlow's death? Take my advice. An empty cave offers no comfort. 
And then um, Butte goes on to say, he defended you, stood over you, and took the blows and was killed. But he did what he wanted. He saved your hide. And is this his reward, Gruntle? You want to look his ghost in the eye and tell him it wasn't worth it? Gruntle says, he should never have done it. And Buke says, that's not the point, is it? And I read that as Gruntle is dealing with survivor's guilt. Oh, yeah. Big time. I agree. I think he's also having a hard time uh, dealing with nihilism as well. And Buke is telling him to be more of an existentialist. It's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I think this is why Gruntle spends most of his time drunk, because he just can't handle the world. He's a sensitive guy. But I do think that Gruntle is going to have an important role in this book later on. Just mm. just a sense. No? No, we just follow him because he's trash. <laughs> yeah, he's going to try and uh, follow Brooch around and then get eaten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't believe you. I also appreciate both Buke and Stunny here because good friends are always willing to call you on your bad behavior. <laughs> Stunny perhaps does it a bit too much, but she also does it when it counts. Did you change your opinion at all of Stunny? I mean, she's still not my favorite. She's a very disagreeable person. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I don't hate the character. I think the character is fine. It's just there were some weird things that happened, like bizarre timing of things and also some attitude, whatever. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I prefer Pious Stunny, mm. which okay. is kind of a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah, she's all pious now. Speaking of which, Cruel and Karuli are metal as hell. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And that is showcased in this chapter very well. Yeah. Hattian is very badass here. Mm. I enjoy that part. She, she's pretty cool. I, I don't care much for Hitan, but yeah, she's great in this chapter. And also the way that exposition was given through the Bargas, like, stating their demands. Mm. I thought that was pretty clever. Is that like natural exposition? I think she deserves a big shout out. Um, for doing what I think all men want women to do. Let's make the first move. She doesn't play games. She just walks up to a man and says, I'm interested in you. And man, wouldn't life be simpler if everyone was like that? Maybe. <laughs> I like the mask council. Me too. Yeah. They're weird. <laughs> They're a bunch of pretenders, but they have cool masks that change expressions. And also seem to be genuinely connected to their gods. Which is a nice change of pace from uh, morally bankrupt religious leaders who do not believe in their own stuff. Except for Rathbenner. Well, you know, he makes a big deal about how pious he is. <laughs> I love, I love how Carnatus is like, oh yeah, that uh, that thing he said he did that was such a big deal. That's me all the time. <laughs> He's been three days like fasting just so he can sit at the the hands of or the feet of Fenner. Just like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, like no big deal. <laughs> and the Bargus have gods now. Yeah, they have. And doesn't that tell you something about how gods are made in this universe? Just like your ancestors needing to not be held back by trees. 
That's that's the standard way of making a god in Melazania. Ninety nine percent of the time, that's how it's done. Trees buried upside down. Mm-hmm. God, how much work would that be? Yeah, I, I still can't imagine it. <laughs> right? Like, like, do they cut off the branches? I don't know how often they do it. I don't think so because, like, I think the branches are like most of what's keeping them in, right? That's I how I read it. Yeah. Massive task, and I don't know how often they do it for people. <laughs> I have one more, and it's just more of a reflection of how the bridge burners feel. Uh, I believe, yeah. So this is Picker talking to Blend. Betrayed by our own. That's the worst thing there is, Blend. I can take falling to enemy swords or mage fire or even demons tearing me limb from limb. But to have one of your own flash the knife when your back's turned. She spat into the fire. It broke us, Blend said. Picker nodded again. The reason why this stood out to me is because the bridge burners are going into another battle and they are allies with their former enemies. And the alliance may seem a bit precarious. So it's they have every right to be suspicious of the what they're going into. And basically after this part, they were just like, well, they trust Dujek. And mm-hmm. he's somebody f- to follow and fight for. But the question is, is that going to be sufficient? And are there going to be betrayals coming down yeah. the line? Dujek the is lying to them, and Duj- they yes. do they do suspect. Yeah, I actually, I actually did have something I wanted to read. It's the it's the epitaph of chapter ten. Epigraph. Mother Dark begat three children. The first, Tyst and were her dearest, dwellers of the land before light. Then were birthed in pain the second, Tyst Leans, the burning glory of light itself. And so the first denied their mother. In their fury, and so were cast out, doomed children of Mother Dark. She then gave rise in her mercy to the third, spawn of the war between dark and light, the Tyst Eater, and there was shadow upon their souls. And I just love this world building. It is top notch. It gives you it gives you a lot of important information that you may not realize is very important on first read. It also uh, enforces don't skip the epigraphs. <laughs> yeah. Also, don't skip the Carcanus trilogy. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> don't sleep on that one. So I also have one. And it's about how metal Karulian and Kroll is. So Stani is uh, talking to Gruntle about the new temple. And she's like, he's a modest man. His elder gods not one for pomp and ceremony. Anyway, with its recent history, it went cheap. History? Stani frowned. Takes spilled blood to sanctify the Elder God's holy ground. A whole family committed suicide in this house. Less than a week passed. Karuli was... Delighted. Tempered delight. He grieved for the untimely deaths, of course. Of course. Then he put in a bid. Naturally. Anyway, it's now a temple. <laughs> I thought that was pretty hilarious. <laughs> like Gruntle's like sarcasm and dubiety and her being like, oh, he's so great. <laughs> and <laughs> like, like, it's very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. There is something about the uh, quite a bit of the dialogue uh, in these chapters, especially with like 
the mass council, that section that you just read, it feels very Shakespearean. Like I could see those scenes being acted out on a, a stage as part of a play. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, the first medium I would like to see Malazan adapted into would be an anime or an animation. But the second would definitely be a play and just, you know, <laughs> cut out most of the action, just have people talk to each other on stage. And I think it would work really well. That would be interesting. Yeah, it I would be. I feel like I would feel like the play version would focus more on the philosophical things, and it would just, yeah, it would be very deep dialogue. I would say you could do really cool uh, effects in a play. Like, did you ever watch Empire Island Players? It's it's great. <laughs> yeah, so you could do Empire Island Players style effects. <laughs> It's the penultimate episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm. Oh, yes. oh, 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 okay. I see, I see. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing that you could have. You could even have the action sequences, but have them be like, just, you know, wooden a wooden prop of Moonspawn, you know, and <laughs> like, you know, just like sound effects with like, you know, practical effects kind of stuff, like real, real simple. Practical effects on stage are really cool. Like, uh, I've watched Kabuki. It's really, like, that's half the reason why I've watched Kabuki, is, like, some of the cool stuff they've done. Well, somebody somebody get on that. Where's the play <laughs> adaptation? Oh, man, someday. It'll be 18 hours long. <laughs> I think book. it'll be a multi-day event. <laughs> 18 hours for each book, you say? Yeah, about that. <laughs> oh, back in the day, like, in, in Shakespeare's day, those, those plays, like, did span multiple days, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that originated with the Greeks, I believe. They would have plays in sets of four, with one of them being a comedy and then the other three being related stories. Mm, okay. So chapter 11. Best chapter? Chapter 11. Quick Ben decides to show up. Trotz manages to kill an unarmored teenager, collapsing his trachea in the process. Mallet reconstructs it despite some difficulties. The bridge burners become a tribal organization. Bridge burners. And Paran gives up his command. <laughs> mm. I like the first line of this chapter. Spindle's hair shirt had caught fire. Period. <laughs> I I really wish that it just disintegrated. <laughs> oh man, don't we all? Yeah. It is gross. I want to uh, eat it. Oh, why? Why did you have to say that? I like how later on when uh, Picker is basically telling Spindle to go find himself a woman to sleep with, he's like, what would mother think? <laughs> and well, then he gets knocked uh, and then he gets knocked on the head later, right? And then like no. throw it. <laughs> no, like mother, right, not right after that. The spirit of his mother, like, kicks him around or something. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk about an unhealthy relationship. <laughs> I mean, do you think that if he had gotten rid of the, the hair shirt, then the mother would just go away? And the reason why mother is there is because he's kept a part of her with him? I think so. Well, isn't isn't part of... But she's not always able to, like kick him around is she isn't part of it like that the spirits are all like kind of active at the at the moment when that happens those are the bar guest spirits mm. 
So I, I, I think that she's always with him and that she kicks him in a line when he starts thinking about things that she would not approve of. Approve? Yes. Oh my god, Very, that's terrible. A spindle is one step removed from Norman Bates. Yeah, I was just <laughs> thinking Jesus that. Uh, well, it's now I have torrent. a much darker read on this character. The torrent and hedge. <laughs> oh man, poor poor yeah. hedge. hedge. <laughs> I like all the jokes about Torin. Like she's like worse than the bull. <laughs> There's a bull following them because he's attracted to one of them. My <laughs> only a great chapter. My uh, my no- my first note for this chapter is just the bridge burners are all crazy. What? <laughs> They're the all bridge what, what? burners are all crazy. Mm-hmm. Yes, every single <laughs> one of them. So I mean, nuts. wouldn't you like you? You've lived through so freaking much. You've been outlawed, and now you're like allies with your enemies, and you're marching towards this city somewhere, knowing that the Panion Seer and all those weird things are coming, and probably gonna die. Like. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't say I blamed them. I just said they're all crazy. And and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> this is like the perfect chapter. It's got lots of funny stuff. It's got a cool fight scene. It's got a near-death experience. It's got magic. It's got Perrin being angsty. Uh, it's got it's got everything. I love this chapter. And the description of the Bargas spirit warren is so cool. Yeah, and when Quickbin gets pulled in, it's metal. Oh my god. Such beautiful writing. And then they build a bridge of souls for Mallet to use. And the description of the, the war in itself is just so cool and how it's like related like swampy and related to like the canoes that they found. Mm-hmm. And then like right at the end of the description you get the uh, the salt smell, which like kind of doesn't gel with the rest of it. So pretty. And how it relates to the, the problems of the bar guest and uh, how like they're only like, listening to the younger spirits because they tell them what they want to hear and the older spirits don't really have a lot of power. I love this. I love this. Such a great and chapter. It, and Perrin calls in Mallet because he thought something was going to go wrong and then something did wrong. Did go wrong. Mm-hmm. And Twist is cool. I like Twist. Twist is awesome. <laughs> you, did you catch... Um, Panayasa, that twist was the the Maranth that Whiskey Jack was talking about with the other Maranth from Gardens of the Moon. I did not catch that. I did. <laughs> I mean, it, it it helps when you listen to like multiple podcasts about Gardens of the Moon and like follow along, read alongs to Gardens of the Moon. Just you know, it stays fresh. The scene that uh, I got most emotional over in this chapter is the whole mallet, trot, mulch stuff. Um, so I'd like to spend a little bit of time on that one. There's a lot of emotions uh, in that scene. Like, first, there's... Erickson starts building tension and suspense with trots possibly dying. We get some relief with mulch helping out, but there's still suspense because mulch's work is not enough. And we get more relief when mallet arrives... But then Erickson hits you in the gut with the whole poison Warren thing and Mallet knowing that he will die if he saves Trot. And Paran knows this, but still commands Mallet to do it. Mallet is willing to exchange his life for Trot's because it would be for the greater good of the Bridgeburners. And we go through the pain with Mallet um, 
with that bridge of souls, which just reading that part of like Mallet feeling the pain being torn apart was so visceral. Like because you were already like in the emotions that Erickson was building. But then we get relief from the Bargast spirits helping Mallet, but there was a cost. So it's a bittersweet relief. And then Trot survives and he knows that there was a heavy cost. And then he just asks who paid. And those two words was like, ah, it got me so hard. Mm-hmm. And it was just such great, like, pulling and slacking of emotions that culminated in those two words. Especially the last part. Like, you can really see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Erickson is very good at writing uh, writing those kinds of things. Uh, yeah. That, like, you know, there are lots of beautiful, long quotes that he writes, but then he's also very poignant when he needs to be with those two words. Uh, with with just a few words, yeah. So the uh, the decision for Mallet to sacrifice himself, uh, rough, but also kind of a no brainer because uh, all the assumption they've been going under is that if uh, Trotz doesn't survive, all the bridge burners, including Mallet, die. So it's like he dies anyway. It, yeah, you know. But it's more of like there's a difference between dying in battle and then dying because you're sacrificing yourself and like mm-hmm. you're you're going through that alone right yeah yeah no totally uh i really like the part where aimless was talking to Parin and he's like yeah the other guys are talking about like you know maybe put a knife in your back <laughs> and he's like Man, maybe i should just kill the messenger he's like hey the last uh the last captain that put a knife on me i snapped his neck or something like that and then later on aimless and mulch right and listen, Mulch Dog, they're like, well, maybe this Pyron guy's not too bad. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Peron is really the perfect captain for the Bridge Burners. Part that I appreciate about Peron is that we do get to see his internal struggle about being the commander. And he doesn't really want to be their commander. And he feels all that pressure. Like, after having commanded Mallet to sacrifice his life to go save Trots, right? he he was struggling like gods forgive me i order that healer to kill himself if this is the true face of command then it is a skull's grin i want none of it no more paran you cannot steal yourself to this life to these choices who are you to balance lives to gauge worth to measure flesh by the pound no this is a nightmare i'm done with it i don't think he's necessarily cut out to be a commander like Dujek, like Whiskey Jack, like Coltane. I do think that uh, what is cool is we're seeing a leader who is struggling because before we just see these leaders who are kind of infallible. Um, like Coltane, yes, he died at the end, but he had so many successes and then he had this heroic, very glorious ending. Um, he never showed us how difficult of a time he was having. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but we and, get to see this. Right. And, you know, and that's probably intentional because as the war chief of the Bargast advises Peron, never admit your unwillingness to rule, Malazan. What you fear in yourself will cloud your judgment of all that your successor does. Your feel will blind you to his wisdom and stupidity both. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's interesting because Whiskey Jack only looks infallible from the outside. When we were in his head in Gardens of the Moon, we never got in Coltane's head. When we were in right. uh, Whiskey Jack's, and we've never been in Dujek's head either. Uh, when we were in Whiskey Jack's head in Gardens of the Moon, we got a lot more of his doubts and his struggle. That's I true. mean, we've been in his head a little bit in this, but it's not as introspective. Uh, and when it is, it's less about himself and more about, like, his doubts about, like, the army as a whole and, like, their cause and how they relate to these other factions and things like that, but not so much, like, his personal struggles uh, as we got in Gardens of the Moon. Although That's we do point. get him and Silver Fox talking about this subject later on. In these chapters? Yeah. Okay. And, and the burden to command is often discussed surrounding Whiskey Jack, too. Mm-hmm. I don't want yeah, to. he's just he's just had a lot more experience and time with it, and become more jaded. Yeah, remember at the end of the siege of Pale, and they said uh, a lot of good men died, and I think he said, uh, "Oh yeah, good at dying, good at dying." Yeah, Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor whiskey Jack. But then he gets a girlfriend. Then he yeah. gets a girlfriend. Yeah, a hot ancient girlfriend. A hot anime girl. Okay, we'll talk about that later. I, hate you. I have a quote. This is this is at the end. Harana's having a discussion with I don't remember exactly who. It says you'll have to teach him. Teach him what? How to live beneath the burden of command? That's something I can't manage myself. I need only look into Whiskey Jack's face to understand that no one can. No one who has a heart, anyway. We learn to achieve but one thing, the ability to hide our thoughts, to mask our feelings, to bury our humanity deep in our souls. And that can't be taught, only shown. Which prompts me to ask, who showed Cotain how to command? I don't know, his tribe, I guess. (laughs) Or maybe he just figured it out by himself. (laughs) (laughs) He's an adept. There was a funny bit. There's a lot Uh, of funny bits. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if this is the same funny bit, but I'm going to take it over for a second. Okay. Um, when uh, Quick Ben is just unconscious on the ground. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like he's in a magically induced sleep. And then uh, Perrin's like, is there any way you speed, speed up his waking? And then Mel's like, yep. Slap. <laughs> <Stop. laughs> <laughs> This is just so excellent. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You forgot to mention his words when he woke up. He wakes up. He says, you all owe me. Mm. And says, the, man, the man's always saying that. Gods, what an ego. <laughs> Actually, he really does have an ego because uh, when he was in the Bargast Warren talking to Talamandis about like um, needing to save Trots or whatever or something. Anyway, he goes like, well, why don't we figure out a way to achieve that, right? Like, to help the yep. healer. <laughs> Just like... Well, technically speaking, he has 14 egos. Oh, wait, 14? I thought he only had 12. I don't know how many it is. Okay. I think it's 12, but close enough. Are we ready for questions? Sure. Okay. Then, well, it's more questions than speculation. So we get a bit more about Artanthos and in chapter three, the epigraph, he also wrote the epigraph and it was a confession. And it was noted that he showed up right after Dujek was outlawed. 
And this reminds me of what Yasna, you said last episode, that you think Tashran is Archanthos. Yeah. And I'm inclined, I'm inclined to agree with you. I said I think, but I'm like doubling down and I'm just saying it, it's mm. Tashran. It's Tashran. Excellent. Because before you hedged your bet. Well, yeah, but because I, because I didn't think about it when I read it, and then when you were guys like, who was it? I like was like, oh, it's Tatrin at that exact moment. So I've since gone back and read every mention of Artanthos in the chapters from both episodes, and I was like, yeah, this is this is freaking Tatrin. There's no way this is not Tatrin. If it's not, then then Erickson is tricking me on purpose. <laughs> He's always tricking us on purpose. But I don't think so this time. <laughs> <laughs> fooled me once, shame on you. Fooled me twice. You can't be fooled again. Yeah. <laughs> can't well. be fooled again. Mm. Okay, what else do I got? Oh yeah. Okay. It's so it's so messed up that the eight mages who were defying Kalor, like doing their ritual thing to call down that being from another realm which became the cripple god and i don't really know what they thought would happen but it definitely didn't go as planned and instead of the being coming down and like doing their bidding the being came down all broken and fallen mm -hmm. but it explains why Kalor has such hatred for mages and wants all magic and sorcery to be destroyed. Yeah. Also, not being a mage himself, I'm sure he wants to fight on even ground. <laughs> mm, good point. Yeah, mages, who needs them? Oh, except for mm. those ones who could use Denul. Uh, yeah, heal people. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah but Calor wants to just use alchemy instead of magic. He has very cool <laughs> candles. Yeah. He does have cool candles. I want those candles. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing he found them, too. Otherwise, his life would be miserable. His life is miserable. Well, um, it would be more miserable. <laughs> Does Palor just like carry his throne with him wherever? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Does he actually? I assume he gets people to carry it for him, but yes. Oh my god. But like okay. no one respects him, so they probably like hate that well, it's like on the wagons or whatever. They're probably pissed they about it. They respect him, they just don't like him. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. As he probably could beat them in a fight. <laughs> well, that's just fear. That's not genuine respect. What's the, difference? Say, What's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> respect for his abilities, at least. Sure. I have a more serious question. The the tattoos on the Bargasts, is that magically etched on their skin? Or, like, do they... No. They do it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> How do you know? I am pretty sure they do it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> okay. Haborix? The Haborix tattoos were magical, though, right? Like, they were magically drawn on him? Uh, I'm at, It was probably done magically, but I imagine... It, like Somebody it was did it. Sort of like runes. Like, you still have to, like, etch the runes, right? But, like, you can make runes, like, magical in... Okay, the reason why I ask is because on Trot's, his tattoos basically, like, trace his lineage mm -hmm. all the way back to the founding. So I was wondering if, like, that was just, you're just born with it? Or... I think it was their tribe's way of passing down their memories. Okay. 
got it. That's all I got. Also, there's a bunch of weird Vargas tribes. <laughs> there are. I mean, like, guys that have tortoise shell armor? That's weird. In any case. How big are these problem? tortoises? I don't know. They're a bread box. Oh, okay. Thank you. Chapter 12. Talk discovers that the leader of his new cannibalistic death cult isn't actually a very nice man and is promptly given a hug by an old lady. <laughs> an old reptilian lady. Yeah, details. <laughs> details, details. He was given venison by the seer. He was given some venison. Oh, Which, man. thank goodness, it wasn't human flesh. Ugh. Talk, okay, talk is very um, impressive in that he's been able to resist quite a bit of pressure. Like, resist Lady Envy and resist eating human flesh, even though he's going super, super hungry. Got a lot of self-will and discipline, man. Yeah, he went a couple of weeks without eating, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I... Uh... Really sympathized with talk, drawing attention through not wanting to draw attention. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just sometimes happens, you know, like if you just if you just like want to be quiet and left alone. And then some people are like, hey, what's up with you? Are you and so quiet? Yeah, exactly. And, and talk, this is just like a, an exaggerated version of that because he was just quiet for weeks. And it's like, oh, maybe he has something interesting to say. No, he just doesn't want to talk to you. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> or like. Everybody just notices there's something about his eye. Mm. Yeah, it gets more wolf-like, apparently. Yeah. That's strange, right? Yeah. Lots of wolves in this book. There's lots mm. of wolves. Lots of dog, canine things. Yes. Not the tooth, but also, yes, there are teeth. I don't know. Yes, the Tennis Gallery make good use of their teeth. It was... uh. Pretty messed up that he ended up, like, locked up with the Kachin Chamal matron ba based on, like, basically, like, a misunderstanding on the Seer's part. Because, like, yeah. it's it's not like he was trying to reach out to the to the wolf Bel or whatever. Beljag? Yeah. Like, yes. they were having a pretty good, like, dinner conversation. And then, like, he had, like, this little, like, unintentional flash and the Seer was like... Ew. Yeah, and talk and see something behind the seer. A like jug right. see it. When yeah, no one else was able to see it. Pretty good, pretty good. Well, no the... no mages with their warrens unveiled, not nothing. Mm -hmm. The um so that was very interesting. And I do have some speculation about that. So do you want the speculation? Or do we want to do all the other Go chapters? for it. Like it yeah. Good. yeah, it's probably the same speculation I have, but let's hear it. Okay. I think that the Panion Seer is really either controlled or is um, one of the Jagat children that Kilava put into the, the Warren. And I think the other child is plugging up the hole in the Warren because otherwise, where is the other child? And the matron had tried to kill one of the Jagga children before it popped out of the warren. I'm not quite sure because the way that the the Panion Seer was talking, it was like, oh, you know, the mother, like, it, it had experienced the em crushing embrace of the matron. And mm -hmm. now talk, you know how it feels. 
So that's... But that crushing embrace is a motherly gesture, not trying to kill it. So maybe maybe the matron nursed the seer and the jaghoot that is that is the like you know the 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 real seer and uh now he's in in charge and putting talk in his former place. Mm-hmm. He did say he did say she was insane. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. You are worthy to take my place in that sweet motherly hug. Oh, she's mad, mindless from insanity. Yet the sparks of need reside within her. Such need Beware, or it will devour you, as it did me, until I grew so foul that she spat me back out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, moms, don't hang on too tight to your children. <laughs> you won't like what they become. Right. Norman Bates. They might wear your. Yeah, they might wear your hair after you die. Oh man. <laughs> so so yeah, uh, I had pretty much the exact same speculation, except I hadn't come to the idea that his sister's still in the rent. Uh, I was just like, where is she? But yeah, same same thoughts on what it is. I think... Never mind. Can you think? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yet to be seen. Also, we get a room that's filled with just a bunch of human skins. Oh. Yummy. Okay, I cringe so much in this chapter. Like, mm. the Teneskari... I I mean, I know that cannibals existed and they probably still exist right now, which, mm, but also, like, they they are a bit more than just cannibals. They, it's not just, like, to eat to sustain themselves. There's a, I don't know if fetish is the right word, but there's, like. There's a religious fervor behind it. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Erickson is saying something about religion hmm. um, in this May- Maybe. Who knows? It's really no <laughs> oh. way to tell, you know? <laughs> death, death cults equal bad. <laughs> I mean, I agree with that, yes. Yeah, that's my takeaway. Yeah. I do not think uh, Erickson is anti-religion, for what it's worth Right. I don't, I don't think, think he's necessarily anti-religion, but I think he has criticisms of the way religion is used sometimes. Oh, absolutely. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, like, Toph is very much aware of how close he is to becoming just like mm-hmm. the rest of the Tanaskari and just battling it as much as he can. But at the same time, he's not going to be the same person coming out of this experience. So that's the thing. Like nope. pe- people love to look at others who are in similar dire situations like that and say, Oh, I would, that would never be me. Or especially in the past, like uh, it's easy for us in the 21st century to say, Oh, if I was in Nazi Germany in the 1930s, then I wouldn't go along with it. Guess what? You probably would have. Hmm. And pe- people just love to do that to themselves. Yeah. Unless you think that, like some humans are just inferior to others, then you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't think that. By the way, it's a bad belief. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Panda, about that, I have a really good quote. If you'd like to hear it. Okay. It says, "Talks fellow lieutenants and indeed an Aster himself were well fat enough." They welcomed the endless corpses the march had claimed and continued to claim. Their boiling cauldrons were ever full. The rewards of power. 
The metaphor made real. I can see my old cynical teachers nodding at that. Here, among the tennis gallery, there is no obfuscating the brutal truth. Our rulers devour us. They always have. How could I ever have believed otherwise? I was a soldier once. I was the violent assertion of someone else's will. Yep. I can see Yasa smiling. Because <laughs> that was the longer version of my quote. That was a longer uh, I also, I also had that one. <laughs> oh, I had the whole damn thing. <laughs> but I won't put you guys through that. I'm concise. Erickson seems to be making a political statement here. Really? I think so. Hmm. Who knows? I think he's just making a statement. Just just a statement. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think they're yeah. random words. I think he's an anarchist at heart. This is him <laughs> trying to uh, convert us. Let's all give bad oh. takes. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. Okay. There was, a, there was something that Talk said about the women who basically rape the men that are dying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. love not lust these women have given their hearts to the moment of death should the seed take root dot 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 and i'm just curious what you guys think he's trying to say here i think it's again about religious fervor and how easy it is to deceive people into you know just buying into this system mm, okay i think he's also concerned about the metaphysical nature of these children you know, being death aspected and all. I mean, an Aster is a really creepy guy. Really creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. He's like 14. But apparently like he's also very beautiful. Yeah. But he won't let anybody touch him except his mom. His mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. What is going on with this this mother relationship thing? Yeah. It, it's it's a everyone, everyone has mommy issues. <laughs> yeah. Mommy issues is definitely a theme here. They're, they're the new daddy issues. <laughs> we got the matron. Uh, we've got the vibe in Silver Fox, Spindle, uh, and Aster. Yeah, mm-hmm. think about it. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Something that's just random. So Talk is going up to meet the Panion Seer. 42 steps brought him to the next level. Mm. Very precise number, 42. I, uh, yeah. I just noted that. I think that, that was an intentional reference. Yeah, I think so too. A very dark place to have such a silly reference, but what? Know. What's the reference? Hitchhiker's uh, Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, answer to the life, the universe, and everything. Yeah. Ah. What's the question you ask? <laughs> so do we. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I've read that. There's a blistering wind. Hmm. Is that the whirlwind? Did the whirlwind like get this far? No. Okay, yeah. so that's some other wind. Yeah. The beast throne is vacant. Hmm. Ooh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. How about that? Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? Sit on that thing. Yeah. <laughs> does Yesna know? No. I mean, I know well, what you know. Okay. Oh. I will say this. The shadow throne was vacant before shadow throne took it. Yes. That's all so, I'm giving you. <laughs> so it's going to be the beast. There is a lot of attention being drawn to the uh, the beast throne. Is like the old the throne of the old hold of the Talon Imas, like before they did the ritual, right? Like their old gods. Is that is that right? I don't think so. No. Oh, so is that was that a different like the throne that uh, Param went to in the 
Azoth House? Was that a different throne? I'm not sure. He's the master of the deck. Right. But he I thought the Beast Throne was referencing that throne that he saw in the like what the 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 Talon gods used to occupy. Mm. I'm trying hard yes. not to make eye contact. I'm not sure. I could I could very well be wrong. Well, I was going to say until you threw it, and I'm not sure monkey wrench into what I was going to say. I was going to say it seems like they're drawing a lot of attention to the fact that the old Talon hold uh, has this empty throne as the second gathering is coming up, but. If the beast throne is like a different thing altogether, then I don't know. I am sure, but I'm not saying anything. Okay. <laughs> Do you think it would be hmm. Relic, Yasna? No. Like Relic oh, Nam? Yeah, no. It doesn't seem he to fit went into, him. He went into the Azath house, hmm. and last time a throne was occupied, it was because somebody went into the Azath house, and okay. I, I, I'm still I'm still thinking Relic might ascend at some point and that the Odotaral dust thing will will be the origin of that, but I uh don't I don't think the the Beast Throne sounds like it matches with his personality. Whereas I feel like Shadow Throne pretty well matches Kellenved's personality. What if it's talk? I don't know. <laughs> I'd believe okay. that before I'd believe it would be Relic. Okay. I'm 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 leaning towards talk. I think it's gonna be the crippled god. <laughs> You're full of crap. Oh, are we all giving wrong <laughs> answers? The house, of, um, the house of chains is just a feint. He wants to slide on to the beast throne while everyone else is distracted. Well, it's we're talking about beasts, right? So it's got to be an animal. How about Sam the eagle? Sam the eagle. It's mm. crone. Oh, crone. That's a good one. Okay, I have. I don't know. I'm. I think talk is probably my best guess right now. Okay. Hmm. Chapter 13? Chapter 13. Chapter 13. Whiskey Jack comforts the Mibe, bears witness to Dujack bullying Krupp, and talks with a teenager about responsibility. The Tregal Trade Guild goes the extra mile. Kalor contemplates another job. Whiskey Jack gets it on with an older woman. The Mibe has another dream, this one featuring a dragon. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> we, saw, we saw mention of an undead dragon. Yeah. Yes. We saw another yep. undead dragon in some other place. This undead dragon is pretty big. Ooh. Are they the same undead dragon? So, is it the same undead dragon? I think yes. Yeah, me too. This dragon's going somewhere. Well, the the dragon we saw in Dead House Gates was like fleeing something. I think, maybe. No, the one the when he when uh, it was taking the Salanda through all the Warrens. Okay, never mind. <clears throat> never mind. <laughs> I like how the Mibe is being bitter, and then Whiskey Jack says something nice to her, and she's like, no, I'm going to stay bitter. And then she's like, oh, damn it, I can't. That Whiskey Jack, he's too good. <laughs> <laughs> he is too good. Yeah, I, I really like their discussion about uh, what lies be beyond Hood's gates. Mm, she seems to have a rather pessimistic view. Yeah, was, that was sad. And I, we also get a different view from, I think, Lady Envy, who's just like, maybe Hood does nothing with your soul and you just live in purgatory forever. She knows Hood, too. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, she does, doesn't she? Yeah, she mentioned that chapter earlier. 
Okay, last episode, I thought that maybe Kroll and Hood were the same character or same thing, but I don't think so anymore. So, yeah, I still don't know what to think of Hood. I like the two nameless Marines that uh, Whiskey Jack talks with. Mm. That was a nice scene. And Cordon's like, man, you do it so seamlessly. You're just human, and they love you for it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the way that he connects with them on a personal level. I liked how uh, Erickson pulled out the old uh, they grew up with seven brothers trope. Hmm. (laughs) It's like the brothers ran away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just a nice little lampshade. Well done, Erickson. So apparently Whiskey Jack has a sister? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. She set off to marry King. Yeah. I don't know if that's like a throwaway. No, he doesn't do throwaways, so... Oh, there are lots of throwaways. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. Never mind. Just kidding. <laughs> this will probably never come up again. <laughs> Whenever <clears throat> Ashamon says that, <laughs> uh, I don't believe you. Right. I'm trustworthy. The Trigel. Trigal? Trigala? Trigal? Trigala? I say Okay. I've been saying okay. Trigala. The Trigal Guild. The Trigal Guild is cool but also so cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) but also but also poor them yes poor them okay so it's very dangerous to work for them (laughs) well uh, they're not workers they're shareholders (laughs) (laughs) the horrific ordeal that they went through and yet the the merchant uh lady she was like well, they weren't actually attacking us. They just were trying to get a ride out of wherever they were, right? Yeah, and it's demons. like, wow, you, you know, like, it, it would be very easy to, like, hate them. But yet she's also being sympathetic uh, to the demons. And then they're, they're, the other, like, shareholders were, like, kind of, I don't know if they were cracking jokes or just really being deadpan serious. Like, yeah, we try to give them contracts and, like, make them shareholders. <laughs> I think it was serious. I, yeah. Yeah, I think it was an honest offer. You <laughs> didn't ring. sign a waiver. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> I like when they arrived and like the demon's hand is just like clasped around oh, like yeah. the chest and they had to like <laughs> cut it off. Or yeah, something. and like it's just held on to the wheel or something and they're like, well, it's <laughs> going to be a lumpy ride for a while. <laughs> How long is it going to take to get that off? <laughs> I do mm. appreciate the, their uh, role in the story. Silver Fox does a bit of one-upmanship on uh, Whiskey Jack. She's like, there is a difference. Now, think on it. For you, 10,000 souls. For me, 100,000. And isn't <laughs> it just the most annoying when someone's like, oh, yeah, I have a story like yours, but better. <laughs> oh, yeah, you had a bad time sleeping? I haven't slept the entire month. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that stuff. Right? <laughs> I, I, I do it sometimes too, but I swear it's good intention. Well intentioned. Okay, going back to the MIBE. Um, she, yes, you know, it it was, she has a very pessimistic view, but it's understandable why she's so pessimistic. Right? You know, in, in Dead House Gates, we had Felicin, who is very, like, uh, depressing character to read. I think Mibe in this one is kind of takes that place, and 
she lost her youth, right? Because because of things that she couldn't really control. Mm-hmm. And she's seeing Silver Fox grow into this voluptuous woman. <laughs> and she's like, you are like, you get to grow and survive because of me. Like, you're taking my life. It's just being a parent, but uh, magnified. Right, right, right exaggeration of the burdens of parenthood but uh at the beginning she tried so hard not to be bitter mm-hmm. yeah towards silver fox and now she just freaking hates her yeah because she knows it's not silver fox's fault it's postpartum depression it. yeah that's the metaphor oh a uh, question for panda we get a bit of a romance here do you buy into it the corlat whiskey jack thing yeah uh Sure, why not? <laughs> I yeah, I buy into it because I, I think I think the reason Corlett gives for not caring about other heist is very valid. I agree. And it, it didn't come out of nowhere because when when Corlett first met Whiskey Jack again, right? Because they've met mm-hmm. before, if I remember correctly. Um she notices him. And mm-hmm. the Mive notices that she notices him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they've known each other for a while. So it's more believable. And I did like that she was just straight out like, dude, I like you. Do you mm-hmm. like me back? Right. And That's Whiskey great. Jack's just like, oh, oh, oh I, I didn't want to presume. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, because he has a little gaff before he does the I didn't want to presume. He he does uh, he assumes that she's just looking for companionship in general and she uh tells him he's an idiot for it and she no, wants him. He's not he's not just a quick lay. I do think they're very compatible though because you know Whiskey Jack uh Corlat is someone with which he can sympathize because he's a very old soul and he's seen his fair share of tragedy and you need really need someone to, who can like relate to you on that level. And then Corlett gets someone who, you know, genuinely cares about people and hasn't been, hasn't become jaded beyond all recognition like most of the Tice have. Yeah, why do you think that is? Uh, they've lived too long. <laughs> no, I meant like, why is Corlett oh. not as jaded? <clears throat> okay. I have an idea, but I don't want to share. Okay. Is it a read and find yeah. out thing? Okay, never mind. Move on. Um, uh, just a question, like... How, uh, okay, why do you think the Tyst are so sad? Because they've just lived a really long time without much purpose. Okay. And because they miss their mother. Mm. Yes, they, they were mommy cast issues. out by Mother Dark. Or left, depending on who's telling the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dang, there are a lot of mother issues here. I think <laughs> the age difference creeps me out. I mean, does it matter when you're... No. I mean, the what's it called? Aragorn and... Aragorn and Arwen? Arwen. I was kidding anyway. Oh. <laughs> Boo! Boo! <laughs> okay, we completely skipped quotes. So, yes, Nat, did you have quotes? I have quotes. And the first one... And, and it begins, as always, with Krupp. So, <laughs> uh, tempers grow short, Krupp murmured as the com- commander rode away. But not as short as Krupp, for whom all nasty words whiz impactless over his head, and are thus lost in the ether. 
And those darts aimed lower. Ah, they but bounce from Krupp's ample equanimity. Fat, you mean, Dujak said, <laughs> wiping dust from his brow, then leaning over to spit onto the ground. Ahem! Krupp, equably cushioned, blithely smiles at the high fist jive. It is the forthright bluntness of soldiers that one must bathe in whilst on the march leagues from civilization. Antidote to the snipes of gutter rats, a refreshing balm to droll sardonic nobles. Why prick with a needle when one can use a hammer, eh? <laughs> Krupp breathes deep, but not so deep as to cough from the dust-laden stench of nature. Such simple converse. The intellect must need shift with alacrity from the intricate and delicate steps of the court dance to the tribal thumping of boots in grunting cadence. I love him so much. He's so great. I have a really long Calor quote too, but I'll let you guys go because uh, that was long. <laughs> Even Krupp has body image issues. <laughs> <laughs> I like how he waddles. Who else has quotes? It was. It's not really a quote here. It's more of a statement where, like Calor, in the previous sections that we read for the previous episode, I was just like, this dude is such a jerk. But in these sections, uh, you know, getting to see a bit more of his his side of things, like to be Calor and lived for thousands of years and seen so much, right? He's in the. Now he's in the midst of humans who are just like wasting breath, jibber jabbering about things they don't know. And he's just like, it's time to act. Stop talking. Um, and the quote here is Ashes and dust, the children who now surround me with their gibbering worries are blind to the hunter in their midst. Blind. I mean, I think he's talking about Nightchill here. Um, but at the same time, it's it's more of like, how infuriating and frustrating would it be if you're just like this? hundreds of thousands of years old or however old Calor is being and you just have like these young mortals next mm -hmm. to you and just like talking about the you know can you imagine if like an alien who knows so much more about the world and the meaning of life and universe and everything and listens to this podcast of these like four humans just jibber jabbering about things that they may or may not know about anyway that's my very much a Get off my lawn, you young punks! <laughs> so, on that note, here's some of Calor's internal monologue. They could not comprehend, nor did they ever, that I would yield nothing. Rather than surrender all I had fashioned, I destroyed it. That is the privilege of the creator, to give, then to take away. I shall never forget the world's death cry, for it was the voice of my triumph. And one of you remains, pursuing me once more. Oh, I know it is you, Cruel. But instead of me, you have found another enemy, and he is killing you. Slowly, deliciously, you have returned to this realm only to die, as I said you would. And did you know? Your sister has succumbed to my ancient curse as well. So little left of her. Will she ever recover? Not if I can help it. Da -da -da. Hmm. Dude's hardcore. Um, he is hardcore. He is hardcore. He's metal as hell. <laughs> but then he also, there's another Kalor bit. Like, they were talking about, Gesso and was talking to Kalor about, like, the Warrens being poisoned. And Kalor is like, they're not being poisoned. They're being altered. I think this is an example of where 
it's the same event that's happening, but people are seeing it differently due to their different perspectives, right? The different sides that they're on. And Gatho asks Kalor, does betrayal sting your sense of honor, Kalor? And Kalor responds, if you call it a sudden reversal of strategy, the sting fades. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's a good one too. That was a good oh, line. yeah. He's, uh, he's pragmatic, I guess. Mm-hmm. And ruthless. The so most pragmatic. Uh, this is the chapter that fueled the prediction that I made on YouTube that I am now going to double down on uh, because I originally predicted that Shaikh will join the House of Chains in the next book. Now I predict she will be the queen of the House of Chains, assuming that we get a high House of Chains. Shaikh and Kalor sitting in a tree. <laughs> well, I didn't assume that it came with matrimony to the between the king and queen. I thought it was more like a power structure, but whatever. It do, yeah, the, it does. Yeah, they have to get married. Like that. Oh, gross! <laughs> now I don't know about this queen part. Then <laughs> the later half of back book four is actually just a big wedding. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, I did have a question for Yasna. Okay. Um, this is the Rivi Spirits talking to Maib, and it's about your favorite character. Small, round man hides obsidian edge beneath his surfeit of flesh. Do you have any thoughts about this? Small, round man hides obsidian edges beneath his what? Surfeit of flesh. Hmm. Obsidian edges. I read it as them saying, "He's probably the sharpest knife in the drawer." Ah, okay. I mean, we we we've been thinking, and there has been evidence that there is more to Krupp than he has shown, but we don't really know. What if he's hood? Could he be hood? I don't think so. But obsidian, obsidian, I think was brought up. Uh, should we have a segment at the end of every episode where panda guesses a different person might be hood (laughs) hey i think so she got it right this time who's hood i mean i assume at some point we actually get to find out who hood is and don't just keep seeing his minions or her minions hey never mind (laughs) bye-bye uh that's a that no i'm not trying to embarrass you that's an interesting guess i don't think crep is hood though I think he's just a dude. That's my prediction. Krupp is just a dude. Well, Krupp and Hood do share a startling similarity. Both are absolutely insatiable. (laughs) Oh, dear. That is true. There's more to this than that. Yeah. He is quite rotund. So I'll give you a little teaser, Panda. A lot of the next few two to three chapters... Is about uh, whether or not there is more to Krupp than meets the eye. So, have fun! Transformers? Okay. Um, I'm excited. Shall we move on to listener questions? Yeah! Yes. Mathros asks, I want to see you all answer whether you fit into dog slash cat person binary paradigm. If so, which are you? Then for Penda and Yasta, based on your knowledge you have of the series so far, where do you think Steven fits in? I don't know what this dog cat person paradigm is. Are you a dog person or a cat person? Oh, okay. I'm a dog person. I hate cats. <laughs> <laughs> I am both. Mm-hmm. So, pragmatically, I'm a cat person because 
dogs are a lot of work, but I really do like dogs because they're typically more loving than cats. Hmm. Depends on the cat. It does depend on the cat. This sitting right beside me will not leave me alone. <laughs> but it almost always doesn't depend on the dog. Mm, yeah, true. dogs are pretty... I, I guess what I'm trying to say is you're more likely to find a dog who's cuddly than you are to find a cat who's cuddly. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a, um, I, I, that was my answer, Panda, until um, I got asthma and my one of my allergies is cats. And uh, mm. my wife and kids have like eczema and one of their allergies is cats. So uh, we have outdoor cats now. And um, I had to give away my cats, Spook and Kelsier. Or Spook and Clubs, mm. rather. Damn, I forgot their names. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So now I'm pragmatically a dog person. And dogs are easy if you're doing a bunch of outdoor stuff. Uh, yeah. But if you're not, they're not. Yeah, it's hard to have a dog if you don't have a good outdoor space that you can take them to. Like, I don't have a backyard with grass that's big enough, you know. So a cat would be more pragmatic. Like, once my uh, son is old enough to not need, like, super constant attention on the trail, I want to take our dog out more hiking. I love taking dogs hiking when I'm not hiking a bunch. Dogs are annoying. They need to be walked all the time. And so I like them when I when I get to go out in the woods with them. I'm sorry you had to give up your cats. Yeah, yeah. me too. It's not easy. Yeah, they were also fans of Brandon Sanderson, though, so that was cool. I met, they were strangers that I'm that I met uh, uh, to give my cats to, and then they turned out to like. Oh, mm. I thought you meant of... your cats were fans. Of no, Brandon the people like, who that's took an optimistic the people who things. took the cats <laughs> who were named after Mistborn characters were oh, also. God. Uh, fans of Brandon Sanderson, both the husband and the wife. That's awesome. So, um, I am I am a cat person. Shockingly, <laughs> they uh, match my temperament a lot more. Although, I am a sucker for lazy dogs. I, I also just like dogs in general, but uh, the really energetic ones I like to visit. <laughs> yeah, I, I visit the dog park sometimes just to until I get my own dog. I think. Based on what we've read, Steve is a dog person. And I was bummed after we did the interview. I was like, dang it. I didn't ask him if he was a cat or a dog person. I mean, anyway. Well, we'll have to ask him next time. I get the feeling he likes both of them, but he's more of a dog person. He seems eccentric enough to like cats. Like he has this like warm, warm and friendly eccentricity that I attribute to cat people. Yeah. <laughs> And a lot of horse people are cat people, so maybe he's a cat person. Is he a horse person? Dude, he's a crazy horse person. Yeah, he loves horses. Uh, neat. Okay. Uh, Jagar asks, All right, here's a question. Who's your favorite bridge burner in Memories of Ice, and why is it blend? Yasna, you want to take it first? Um, I mean, it's just the same thing I said earlier. I like Picker and Blend's relationship with each other more than I like them as characters but if i if i can just pick their friendship as my favorite bridge burner that's what i pick <laughs> i like blend she is cool i like people who uh who say less than they think you know and uh i feel like we would really get along i i you know um ron swanson talks about a guy 
who we never learned the name of, and he was his best friend. I feel like that would be mine and Blend's relationship, basically. Blend can listen to your philosophical ra- uh, rambling. And maybe if she wants to, or <laughs> she doesn't have to, you know, you just sit in silence. <laughs> Panda. My favorite bridge burner is not Blend. <sighs> I know. I think my favorite bridge burner is Fiddler. Oh, in Memories of Ice. Mm. It was oh, part of the question. Boo. Wait, Fiddler was mentioned, though. He was mentioned in the backstory. Oh, my God. He's not in it, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, fine. Um, I mean, is Whiskey Jack like cop-out answer? He's, He's not in the Bridge Burners anymore. He's a commander in, wow. of the army. My God. I would still call him a Bridge Burner, but... Well, do you consider Talk a Bridge Burner? No. He was never in the Bridge Burners. Yeah. He just oh kind God. of attached himself. He was in the, the second, second army. army. Yeah, jinx. It's okay. You're gonna, you're gonna we know you like Spindle. <laughs> no. Spindle okay, final answer. Gonna... Okay. <laughs> no, I'm gonna say trots. Trots. Mm. Okay. That's Why? I would pick you for mallet, maybe. Trots or mallet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like hedge. Hedge is funny. Hedge yeah. is hedge is sane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I like trots. So shall we say goodbye? It's been three hours. Yes, please. (laughs) That concludes this episode. If you want to join the read-along and or contribute listener questions, check us out on the Legendarium's Discord. You can find the link on thelegendarium.com. Also follow us on Twitter at GreenTeamPod for updates and fun times. Shout out to Horizon Brave for starting it all. Check out the Legendarium podcast for Wheel of Time, Cosmere, Lord of the Rings content, and so much more. Thank you to our panelists, Huron Fan, Ashamon, Jessena as a boy, and I'm Befuddle Panda. Until next time. Pew, 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 pew. Unless you think that, like, some humans are just inferior to others, then, you know. Yeah. <laughs> know, maybe, yeah. <laughs> don't don't think that, by the way. It's a bad belief. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, though? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kieran gets really deep into race theory. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Are ethnostates a bad thing? (laughs) I'm going to cut out all the laughter. (laughs) It just sounds like it's dead serious. I like it. Karen, I really want to punch your face right now. (laughs) Uh, I like... uh, I I pronounce it Hatan, but... Hatan. That's probably right. I don't think it's Hotten. Hotten. Hatan. Oh gosh.